Come on, let's blow up the live stream. How are y'all doing this morning? I hope live stream. I got to tell you something. Two years ago for Christmas, I got an electric blanket. I thought I had successfully entered into old personhood, right? I got that electric blanket, and that thing has been running. So I hope wherever you're at, at home, wherever you are, you're under an electric blanket. And if you don't have one right now, open a new tab, hop over to Amazon.com, and add one to the shopping cart, and make sure you have one by Monday, man, because an electric blanket will change your life. Well, my name is Pastor Jonathan, and I'm so happy to be with you guys this morning. I, my wife and I serve as the Mansfield Campus Pastor. Shout out Mansfield, yes. Yeah, very excited. Pastor Adam is in Columbia, uh, not Columbia, Washington, not Columbia, that's in another state. He is in the country of Columbia, right? Pablo Escobar, like that's where he is at right now. You know, Pablo does not exist any longer, but that's where Pastor Adam is. He's actually managing Columbia. And a few weeks ago, actually probably about a month and a half ago now, um, we, we heard from one of our missionaries that we support out in Columbia named Joel Manderfield. And they're actually starting and they're planning a church there in Medellin, Columbia. And Pastor Adam was actually able to be with them as we took up an offering to make sure that they had enough uh, money to get chairs in the church that they were planning. And Pastor Adam was there this past Sunday or this past weekend with them uh, as they were able to get those chairs in for their church services happening today. So, man, you guys are a part of what's going on in Medellin, Colombia, making sure that people are able to receive the gospel. Come on, make sure they're able to receive Jesus, make leaders and change their lives and change the country of Colombia for Jesus, right? And so just a quick little random Colombia plug. I, you may or may not know this. I'm a study of all things history, and I love people and all these things. And I was watching a documentary about that man, Pablo Escobar, and he was a lover of of exotic animals, right? He loved exotic animals. He ended up creating a zoo there. Got all these these uh, these animals imported from Africa, right? And one of his favorite animals, you can go ahead and Google this, look this up, was the hippopotamus, right? We got any hippo fans out there, right? Well, Pablo Escobar was a hippo fan, right? And he had he had these hippos that uh, that lived in this random city in Colombia in uh, in like this river thing, right? And they were in cages and did all this stuff, right? Well, after the the fall of the empire of Pablo happened, right? They didn't know what to do with some of these animals. Animals, right? And they, they weren't really sure you know, how many were around, right? Well, these hippos ended up getting out of their cages, and like hippos do, they begin to reproduce, and now there is a lot of hippos in the area there, right? And just recently, like, like it was crazy, like three months ago, there was a hippo attack in Colombia. Like, you think about that, they're like so random, right? Like, you're just doing your thing in Colombia, right? Hippos are something you read about in the encyclopedia or find out on the internet, and all of a sudden, one's chasing you through your town, right? And so they don't understand Spanish, and so you're trying to yell at them to stop in Spanish. They don't understand what you're saying, man. And so, uh, but we, I'm so happy to be with you guys this morning. That was like not even close to what we're talking about this morning. I just wanted to share that with you. It was on the brain, man. The ADD guy up here, man, it's like, well, we got to talk about the hippos in Colombia. That's what's important, right? So we're going to take up an offering at the end of it for tranquilizer darts for the villages in Colombia and get rid of all those hippos, man. But today we are jumping into the word. You excited about the word? Say yes. Come on now. This week we have uh, one of my favorite holidays, Thanksgiving, coming up, right? For some of you guys, that, that might breed all sorts of anxiety and, and fear and all this kinds of stuff, right? And I was just, just kind of researching what it is and, and what Thanksgiving is and, and what thanks really is and just doing some, some deep dive into what that looks like. I begin to, as I begin to, in my studies, this word gratitude was synonymous with thanks, and gratitude kept coming up, and I, I began to read, like, okay, well, what is the difference? Obviously, there is a, a difference between thanks and gratitude. 
There's got to be a difference between thanks and gratitude because why, it would be the same word if there wasn't. So we're going to dive into what that looks like. And today, the, the title of today's message is called Cultivating Gratitude. Cultivating Gratitude. You say, well, why cultivating? Cultivating is typically a word used within agriculture. It's used within farming, and it means to prepare the ground in order to receive. In order, in order to receive, right? In order for a crop to grow, in order for them to plant something that will eventually reap a harvest, they have to first cultivate the ground. I believe in each and every one of us, if there's things that we're going to receive from the Lord, there's things that he's going to do in us, then we have to cultivate our lives, put ourselves in a position to receive that. And I promise you this, when the cultivating process starts for farmers, when they begin to dig down deep into that ground, that ground is hard. That ground is tough. That ground's full of rocks. It's full of weeds. And all of that stuff has to come out. But we understand that the work is worth it because the end result is worth it. And so we titled today's message, Cultivating Gratitude. And our key scripture is going to come out of Psalms chapter 103, starting in verse 1. And it reads like this in Psalms chapter 103, starting in verse 1. It says, Praise the Lord my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord my soul and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your mouth, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. David is writing this. This is King David. This is David, the man after God's own heart. David, David is writing this, right? He would go down in history as a man after God's own heart. You read all of David's story. I mean, he was up and down in his emotions with God, in his relationship with God, everything that he had done, right? But he goes down in history as being a man after God's own heart. When you go back and you read all the Psalms, you read David struggles with his internal emotions. He struggles with it. Why are you downcast, oh my soul? We see this that David writes, I'm surrounded by my enemies. There's no hope in sight. I mean, David is writing all of these things. And in Psalms chapter 103, he comes back and he says, remember, remember, we shall not forget. Don't forget the benefits of the Lord. I don't believe that he would have wrote this if it wasn't possible for you and I to forget what the Lord has done for us. Sometimes we get so far beyond in our Christian walk, in our life, in the blessings of God, everything he's done for us, that we think that is what you're supposed to do. Like, that's your job. Like, I, I, don't, I don't praise my truck for driving down the road, right? I, I, as it's going 65 in a 45 sometimes, I don't look at it and say, hey, truck, you're doing fantastic, right? What do I do? I just expect it to go. The moment it breaks down, then I'm like, what is wrong with you, truck, Right? But while it's working in the proper way, I don't praise it. I don't tell it anything. And I think sometimes that's the way we can treat the Lord. Lord, look what I'm doing for you. Lord, Lord, look what I'm doing. Lord, check it out. And yeah, you're supposed to do that. That's what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to bless my family. You're supposed to bless my marriage. You're supposed to prosper me. That's what you're supposed to do. And we can get into this spot sometimes where we're like, Lord, okay, that's what you're supposed to do. That, that, is, just, that is just what happens and David is writing, and he's like, man, let us not forget all of his benefits. And he goes down to write them down. And I love that he does. Because he goes and he writes, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. 
who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Comes back and says, remember who you were. Remember, man, that you were wrapped up in addiction. There was no hope for you. Man, that your trajectory of your family was terrible. And the Lord stepped in and he brought you out of that pit. And when he brought you out of that pit, he didn't look at you and say, you dirty sinner person. You have to do this, that, and the other. He comes and he crowns you with love. Crowns you with grace and of mercy, right? And we can come out of it. We can be out of this so far sometimes that we forget where we were. We forget the healing that he gave us. We were crying out and we were praying for it. Lord, I need a breakthrough in this. And he shows up and we say, thank you, Lord. And then we get so far past it that we can forget. David comes back and he reminds us. He says, hey, man, don't forget all the Lord's benefits. Man, we need to go back and we need to reflect on these things. Lord, what have you done for me? Well, Jesus, I'm thankful for what you have done for me. I've got two amazing children. My son, Uzziah, is 10 years old. My daughter, Anaya, she's 13. Pray for me. Oh, my gosh, right? She's 13. And uh, it was a few years back we had taken them out. And we try to do this once or twice a year. But we have a day where we try not to tell the kids no, right? We just try to have a day where, you know, and, and so my, my son started getting wise to it. He was like, Dad, I want Nintendo Switch. I'm like, uh, no, right? So, like, it's super easy. That word no rests on the tip of my tongue. That comes off quick, man. And so we were hanging out one day, and we had started the day early, right? And so we started out with, like, breakfast out. Then we went and saw a movie. Then we got some lunch. And then we were just, we were just having a good time, right? And it was awesome. And as I was putting my daughter for bed, she looks at me, and she says, Dad, this is the best day ever. I say, it was. You're right, it was. She says, Dad, thank you. I love you so much. I said, I love you too, babe. Kiss her on the forehead and lay her down, right? Next morning, we get up, and, and so we start making breakfast or whatever. And I say, hey, kids, need you to clean your rooms. We got we to clean our rooms. We got some things we have to do today, but I need you to clean your room. As soon as we get done with breakfast, in your rooms, cleaning them. I give you about 45 minutes. I'm going to come in there and check. You better have made progress, all right? This is what we need to happen, okay? My son looks at me and says, Dad, we don't ever do anything fun. <laughs> so, what? You know, I was like, what are you talking about? My knees still hurt from the day of fun, right? I got the receipts to show you of the day of fun. Like, what are you talking about? We don't do anything fun. He's like, we don't ever do anything fun. I said, bro, go grab the spanking spoon, right? He's like, no, I don't want to. And I was like, are you about to, right? He's like, go get a spanking spoon. The spanking spoon's name today is fun, right? It's like, you're going to get a lot of fun today, right? So I was like, boy, we're going to have tons of fun today. But I begin to have this question. I said, so, so remind me. So, so tell me, we don't, we don't ever do anything fun. He's like, no. We don't do anything fun. I said, okay, all right. So when was the last thing we did something fun? Mm, uh, you know, like, uh, and he started, his wheels started turning. He began to understand. I was yelling. I was like, like 13 hours ago. He was like, he's like, I don't like, I don't know, like, but, but we should do it more. And I was like, oh, we should do it more. We should do it more. We, okay, okay, great. So, so we don't do anything fun. He's like, no. I said, so what did we do yesterday? And he just began to kind of, you know, recall a couple of things. Well, we, we, did, we did this. I said, all right, yeah, we did that. And what did we do before that? Well, well we, we did that. Absolutely. And what did, what did you do after that? He's like, well, well, we did this, right? And what did you tell me when I put you down? Well, that I was so thankful for the day and everything you've done for me, right? I was like, I was like that's right. Go to your room and clean your room, right? But I believe we can have the same short-term memory with the Lord. We had the same short-term memory with the Lord. 
We'll back up our lives six, seven months. Jesus, Lord, deliver me. I need a promotion. Lord, I, I, I need my finances to increase. Lord Jesus, set me up, Lord. Well, I, I, I'm praying for this. I'm praying for that, right? It happens. Breakthrough. Boom. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Nine months later, you're complaining about the bonus, the promotion, the raise, whatever it may be, the coworker that you got, right? You're just like, Lord, where are you? You don't ever do anything for me. And I think he would tell us, hey, man, what happened? You, you, you prayed for this. You got that. Now that's bringing a new set of problems. And you're saying, I don't do anything for you? And we can get short-term memory with our blessings with God. And we believe that because we're serving him, we're loving him, we're going after him, that everything in our life should be awesome, perfect, and the way we want it. But that's not the way it works. When we sign up and we say, Lord, my heart is yours. I'm about the will of the Father. But whatever you would have me do, my life is but a sacrifice for you. When we understand that, and in the midst of that, there's blessings. According to Matthew chapter 24, it says that you would seek first the kingdom. Everything else would be added unto you, right? Sometimes we just stop with that, with everything else. Lord, where is my everything else? Lord, where, where is that? But we forget about how you've been able to pay the mortgage every month. We forget about how faithful the Lord is when you walk in your house and you flip that switch and the lights come on. Right? We forget about these things. And we say, Lord, but where's my new car? Lord, where's my new this? Lord, 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 Black Friday's happening. Where's my new TV? Right? It's like, Lord, Lord, where are these things? And we can get this short-term memory. And in my, in my research between thanks and gratitude, I defined it as this. Thanks is this right here. Thankfulness is based on what happens in the moment. We feel thankful for whatever, whatever action was done or whatever was received. So you can be thankful for that. When someone gives you a gift, you are thankful. Thank you. When someone holds the door open for you, we say thank you. When the Lord does something for us, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. But gratitude is a little bit different. Gratitude is defined as this. Gratitude is a reflective and the introspective view of our life's journey and circumstances through the lens of thankfulness. So it's a zoomed out look at what's happening. Because sometimes we take a biopsy of our life and we look. And we say, over these past three months, it's been so rough. Lord, where have you been? Sometimes we'll take a little bit larger biopsy, nine months, a year, three years. And we say, Lord, where have you been? And sometimes it is hard to be thankful in the midst of whatever you're going through. I get it. It is, it is tough to be thankful in the midst of what you're going through. But as we take that zoomed out look of what gratitude is, we go back and we see. We see, Lord Jesus, I've been thankful here because you did this for me. A year ago, two years ago, three years ago. Lord, I, I take a look at the scope of what's going on. And as we do that, and as we take a look at our life through the lens of thankfulness, we begin to see gratitude come out for us. Because not only am I thankful for what you did in the moment, I'm, I'm showing gratitude for what you've done in my life. Lord, I'm showing gratitude of what's happened over the course and the span of my life. Where, oh, wretched man that I am, I am yet a sinner. That's all I am. Lord Jesus, you showed your grace on me, your mercy on me. You delivered me from who I was, Father. You put purpose in my heart. Lord, thank you. I might not be exactly where I want to be, but Lord Jesus, I'm thankful for where I'm not. 
When we get into that spot where we begin to see that gratitude begin to bubble up out of you. And in my study about gratitude, I begin to understand that it has some health effects and benefits to us. And gratitude, literally, as we begin to, to shift our perspective, as we begin to shift our attitude to being one of gratitude, we begin to see that there are some immediate health benefits that begin to happen for that. The first one is this right here, is that gratitude helps improve sleep. If you're worried, you're all those things, man, begin to show gratitude, right? Start a journal of the things that you're thankful for, right? Go back as far as you can and say, Lord, where am I at? The gratitude helps improve sleep. Gratitude helps lower high blood pressure. In studies, they have seen that gratitude reduced stress-inducing hormones like cortisol by 23%. Check this one out. Gratitude helps with overeating, and it's got some benefits in weight loss. So if you're like, oh, I'm trying to get skinny, right? Here you go. Help me be thankful, right? It says, Susan Thompson, I, I quoted her. Because you don't get mad at me, like, like Pastor Jonathan, look, I was grateful and all these things. I showed gratitude and I gained weight. So look, I put her name down, right? So she can go to her and you can send this lady an email. Her name is Susan Thompson, PhD, right? So you write her name down. She states that practicing gratitude reinforces an individual's willpower to resist excessive eating. It says grat uh, gratitude motivates you to exercise more. Gratitude extends the lifespan. Gratitude makes you more forgiving. Gratitude helps against depression. It brings forth positive experiences as you begin to reflect on what, you, what you're thankful for, the, the gratitude that begins to come out, reducing stress, inducing hormones while increasing feel-good ones. Gratitude unleashes us from toxic emotions. Research shows that when we think about what we appreciate, the parasympathetic or the calming part of the nervous system is triggered that can have protective benefits on the body, including decreasing cortisol levels and perhaps increasing oxytocin, the bonding hormone involved in relationship building that makes us feel so good. Gratitude is this. Gratitude unlocks the fullness of life. It turns what we have into enough and enough into more. It turns denial into acceptance, chaos to order, and confusion into clarity. It can turn a meal into a feast, a house into a home, a stranger to a friend. Gratitude makes sense of our past, brings peace for today, and creates vision for tomorrow. As we begin to, to show gratitude, as we begin to do this, as it begins to bubble up out of us, it changes our perspective. Man, as Americans, we're so about the now. What is happening right now what is going on with me right now how do I feel today how do I feel right now and I don't believe that that is a kingdom mindset that you and I need to be living in a state of gratitude where we would be what our story would be we see in Luke chapter 17 Jesus interacts with these 10 individuals who were plagued with a life-threatening disease. I mean, it was a, a death sentence. And in Luke chapter 17, verse 11, we'll start reading. It says this, says, Now on his way to Jerusalem, talking about Jesus, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy, they met him. They stood at a distance and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, he came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and he thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. 
Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. So we see this, this, Luke is broke down, Luke 17 is broke down into four major parts. As Jesus is with the disciples, right? They're watching. Jesus is training the disciples. As we saw all throughout John, Jesus is performing the miracles in front of the disciples. They're watching. This is how it should be done. We see that Luke is broken up into four major parts. We see forgiveness that he teaches at the beginning of Luke 17. Then he goes over faithfulness. He's talking about thankfulness in here, and he's going to close out the chapter with preparedness. We see that as Jesus encounters these ten leprous men, right, they see Jesus from afar off. And this goes all the way back to the New Testament, where it goes and it talks about how people with leprosy have to operate, how their lives had to be lived, how they needed to keep the rest of the community safe from leprosy. This was a death sentence. This was it. This, this was, was quarantined to the max. I mean, there was no cure for what you had. And what literally begins to happen is bacteria begins to infect your body and you rot from the inside out. It, it was a terrible disease. It was gross. I mean, the smell of people had to have been so terrible. And so the command was that they had to stand at least 50 yards away from anybody they encountered. Not only that, but sometimes they'd have to wear a bell around their neck in case anybody was coming, they could hear them. And if they, they, they approached them or if they saw them, these people with leprosy had to begin to yell, unclean, 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 and have to back away. Now, typically when, when we read this, and sometimes even when I read it, I, I begin to look at these people and I only identify them as a leper. That's it. Right? Like, like these people had nothing before that. Like, like that's just what they were. Like you were a leper. You were a character in the Bible that you play. Right? But that's not at all what it was. This was potentially a father. Potentially a husband. Definitely a son. Right? I mean, I mean we have these things. These ten men that were together had lives before leprosy. And now they're living with it. They see Jesus coming. I don't know how they understood or how they identified Jesus. Maybe Jesus and all the disciples, maybe Jesus had big banners on, on his caravan that had his Twitter, his Twitter handle and, and his YouTube videos. Like, hey, man, make sure you go check out my YouTube channel. You know, we've got, we've got a million and a half views on the, uh, the guy with the mud on his face. Like, man, that, that was just blown up. It's going viral. I don't know how they knew this was Jesus, but they knew it was him. And they began to cry out in a loud voice, Master, have pity on us. Jesus yells back to them, and he yells back one simple thing, and that is go. He says, go and present yourself to the priest. That was the only way that they were going to be declared clean. A priest had to look at you and examine you and say, yes, you were healed. Yes, you were clean. Now you can join in. I mean, these people were ostracized out from society. We see that, that probably the majority of these people were Jews, right? And you would say, well, why is there such a mixed bag of these people? Why is a Samaritan with them when the culture would have been, no way, man. We are not associating with, with, with anybody outside of this. No way, especially with Samaritans, is because leprosy was a common factor there. We, we, we're, just, we're just all in this thing together, so might as well join what we've got. It makes 10 of us. Here we go. Now we, now we can go together. And so when they would go to synagogue, they would have to sit outside. In this, in this special spot where they couldn't see, but they could only hear. I mean, could you imagine watching your family from 50 yards off, trying to go to your son's baseball game? You're trying to watch him. 
I mean, you think about the ramifications of what it's like to have this disease. You're being put away. No one wants to talk to you. No one wants to come near you. You, it, it, it's gross, it's, it's disgusting, it's embarrassing. Your, your nose is falling off, your fingertips are falling off. I mean, it's, you don't want to be around anybody. Jesus tells them, go. And it says that while they were on their way, they were cleansed. While they were on their way, while they were walking, their skin is growing back on them. While, I mean, you think about it, as they went, I don't know if they had to walk 100 yards, 200 yards, if they had to walk three days, but as they went... They were healed. And it's crazy, and I, I guarantee this, it doesn't say it in Scripture, but every single one of those men were thankful. Every single one of those men were thankful. Thank you, Jesus, as they're running away. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That's what I would, I would hurry. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm getting to that priest so fast, right? I, I, I'm gone. But only one came back. Only one came back. One-tenth of everybody that was healed came back. You would say, well, Jesus, he, he knows that he's God. Jesus knows that, that he is a Savior. Jesus knows who he is. He doesn't need me to validate him. And no, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. Whether or not you do or you don't believe in him doesn't, it doesn't change the fact that he is God. You know what I'm saying? I, I, I love that. It's like, okay, great, you don't believe in him? Fantastic. That's awesome. I'm sorry for you. And I pray that one day you do. But that does not change the fact of who he is. Not even close. And so he doesn't need, he doesn't need your thanks. He doesn't need your gratitude. He doesn't need your praise. He, he doesn't need those things to validate who he is. But we see in this moment that Jesus wants it and that Jesus likes it. Because he doesn't tell him, hey, thank you, bro. Appreciate it. Fist bump. See you on your way, right? He didn't say that at all. This man, Jesus moving to where he's going, had to come and find Jesus. Right? So you think about this. You have your whole life, I mean, let's say, let's just say a small portion of your life, six, seven years, six or seven years, you have missed six or seven years of being with your family, six or seven years of not being able to be with society, six or seven years of catching up with what's going on in pop culture, watching your kids grow up from at least 50 yards away, six or seven years of that. And this man comes and he kisses his family and he says, I have to go. And express my gratitude to the man that changed my life. I have to go back and find a man that changed everything about me. Because this would not be possible without that man. And he goes back and he finds Jesus. And he gets to praise him and falls at his feet. I'd imagine that as he's doing that and as he's going back and he's finding Jesus. He's going back and he's seeing all the moments and all the things that happened. Where he's saying, Lord, I guarantee you were there in this. You were there in that. It was no accident that I joined up with these ten men that were walking by that day. Lord Jesus, you've been after me. And I'm coming back, and Lord Jesus, not only am I thanking you, but I'm expressing my gratitude to you for everything you've done in my life. For everywhere you've been in my life. And he comes back, and he expresses that to Jesus, falling at his feet. And Jesus looks at him, he says, we're not all ten healed. But only you, this Samaritan. Out of all the ones that would come back, it would surely not be you. I think the others being Jews, the others knowing about Jesus, the, other, the others being of the culture of Jesus, the other ones probably being churched, just said, that's what you're supposed to do. That's what you're supposed to do. Jesus, thank you for what you've done. That's what you're supposed to do. That's, that's just, like, that's a byproduct of who I am. Lord, you're supposed to bless me. 
Lord, that's just, that's just that's what you do. But this man, coming from a background not like Jesus, coming from a background of pure gratitude, say, Jesus, you did something for me. I was so undeserving of. Jesus, you did something for me. That, Lord, I was not worthy of. Lord Jesus, I was just in that group. Lord, I, I, I was there, and we saw you, and we all began to, to cry out for you. Jesus, I had to come back, look you in the eye, and thank you for what you've done for me. And Jesus tells him this. He gets something that the other 90% didn't get. He tells him this, that your faith has made you well. I don't know what transpired in that man's life. I don't know what happened at that moment. But as I did my research and I found out what gratitude was and the benefits that gratitude has, I'd imagine that that man preconditioned in how he lived had anxiety. How am I going to reintegrate back into society? How, how am I going to rejoin when everybody sees me? The depression that that man felt, being out and away from everybody else, ostracized and labeled by your disease, not even called by your name but by your disease, you leper. And then he wore that badge trying to figure out how in the world am I going to join back into what's going on. And in that moment, he got something that the other 90 didn't get. The other 90% did not get. As Jesus tells him, your faith has made you well. I believe in that moment that a lot of that anguish and a lot of that stuff that he had in his mind, that in that moment was undone from a spot of gratitude. As he began to express to Jesus, Jesus, oh my gosh. Lord, you don't know. Let me begin to tell you who I am. I'm so undeserving of what you've done. God, let me tell you about me, man. I'm so undeserving of what you've done. Lord, I express my gratitude for you. i got to tell everybody about you. Jesus, I have to. So how do we begin to cultivate gratitude, you and me, in our lives? There's three simple things I want you guys writing down on how we can cultivate gratitude. The first one is this right here. is Serve others. You can cultivate gratitude. you got to serve others. Man, I love missions. My wife and I were, were full-time missionaries for a time. We served under Pastor Adam and Miss Jamie's missions organization years and years ago. And I love missions. I absolutely love it. I love getting on the field. I love, I love seeing people's eyes light up when they meet a real God for the first time. I, I, it excites me to no end. And I love seeing how, man, on the other side of the world, we have first world problems, but there are people on the other side of the world who are really, really hurting. And when you get there and you understand and you see a per perspective shift, you begin to understand, Lord Jesus, oh my gosh, what I thought was bad, what I thought I had, oh God, Lord Jesus, I'm so thankful for what you've done for me. You begin to take a look at your life and a scope of what you've done, and you begin to say, okay, great, Lord, look, you have done it for me. Jesus talks about this. Right here in Matthew chapter 23. As the disciples are arguing at the Last Supper, who's going to be the greatest in this new established kingdom? Jesus comes back and he tells them this. The greatest among you will be your servant. That there's no greater position that you and I can hold than to serve. I was talking with Myrna the other day and we were just sharing about our, most, our favorite holiday moments. And a lot of my holiday moments involve a deer stand, right? Because... Both smack in the, in the middle of the, the rut and all these different things. And I, I would tell her, it's like for years, we'd always bring a wild turkey to the table. For years. That was it. And the first year we got married, I didn't. I felt like such less of a man. She, I was like, I don't have a wild turkey to bring you. She's like, I don't like turkey. Right? So I was like, okay, cool. All right. You know, I was like, we, we, we'll do it different then. And she was just sharing with me some of her favorite holiday moments. 
And she says, you, you know what, what I miss? And I said, what do you miss? And after I shared all my hunting stories and all these different things, I said, what do you miss? And she says, I miss serving with my family every year. And I felt so, so tiny, so terrible. You know, I was like, I just shared about all the awesome things that I like to do that make me feel good. And you're like, I just, I miss serving people. And I was like, what? And I said, tell me about that. And she says, every year for Thanksgiving, we would go down before, before we'd eat, we'd eat in the evening. So before we'd eat, we'd go serve at a place in Houston, this big convention center with a bunch of, of people that, that didn't have a spot to have Thanksgiving, potentially homeless, whatever it would be. And she said, we'd serve there for, I don't know, four or five hours, whatever it may be. She says that we would leave there so filled with our tank, just how we serve people and how we love people. She says, and always driving home, she says, the drive was different. As I was driving back to a home that was heated, I was driving back to, to a house that we had made. I had a room. I had a place. It might not have been the biggest house in the world. It might have been my dream home. It might not have been what my parents dreamed about, but we had a place. And when I drove, she said, when we drive back, it felt different. As I sat down at the table, it felt a little different. And as she began to share with me that gratitude from where she's been, she just began to share of all the different things that the Lord has done, how he's been faithful. As she began to reflect back on what the Lord has done and those moments that came out of serving. We have two opportunities to serve our communities coming up in the first week of December. The first one happens on December 1st. If you're saying, how do I cultivate gratitude, Lord? Pastor John, that I need to learn how to cultivate that. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do it. On December 1st, here in Cedar Hill, we got a thing called Holiday on the Hill. You have an opportunity to represent this amazing church. Multicultural, multiracial, come on, multi-generational church. A slice of heaven, as Pastor Adam likes to say. Right? You have an opportunity to represent this and serve your community. On December 3rd, we're doing the same thing in Mansour. You have an opportunity to serve your community. To get on the other side of the receiving line and see what it's like to serve. And I promise you, as you begin to do this, your perspective will begin to shift. And I promise you this, your drive home that evening will be a little bit different than it was on the way there. And I'm hoping that that will be a spot in your life when you come back and you can say, that's something that entices you. I want that feeling again. Man, I, I, I want to know what it's like to serve again. I, I, I want to see what it's like when I hand somebody something and it changes, man, their perspective of everything that they've had of what a Christian would be and how we should operate. And all you did was give that with a smile and it ignited something in my heart. And as we begin to serve others, we see gratitude begin to bubble up out of us. The second thing is this right here, is we have to broaden our view. You have to broaden your view. I said, what do you mean by that? Well, my son and I, we, we were hunting last year for deer season. The, the awesome thing about having a son that loves to hunt now is that I get new things, right? I love that. Deer hunting to me is all about the gear, right? I mean, like no one's out there to take your picture, but at least I want to look good in case something does happen, right? In case the news shows up, you know what I'm saying? It's like, hey, look at this dude. Oh my God, check him out. He looks good, right? No one's out there to look at you. My dad looks at me and says, who are you getting dressed up for? For you? You know what I'm saying? It's like, you're here. And so, so we're sitting in the deer blind, and, uh, and man, if you're deer hunting, you got to be quiet, right? My son is still learning that, right? He's only, he's only got from like volume 8 to 11, right? And I'm like, dude, shh. And so we're sitting there, and it's opening morning, and it's foggy. It's beautiful. I mean, this is what you dream of for deer season. And so we're sitting there, and he's halfway asleep, you know, <clears throat> falling. As I, I, was, I was waking up, I said, hey, there's like 10 deer out there. And he gets up, and he looks, he's like, there's nothing. It's like, shh. It's like 10 right out there. He's like, I don't see anything. He's like, get your binoculars. 
And so I had given him my, my old binoculars, right? And I got a new pair of binoculars, right? So I was like, <laughs> you see how it works, right? Okay, look. So I given him my old binoculars. And so, so he puts them up to his face. And he's looking. He's like, I don't see anything. I was like, shh, quiet, man. Like, there's only nine now. You keep scaring them off, bro. And he's like, they don't work. And I was like, they do work. I used them last year, right? They do work. He's like, they don't work. He's like, they work. He's like, give them to me, right? So we're having this conversation in the gym line, right? And as I pull them up, I was like, bro, I know why they don't work. He had them zoomed all the way in. Couldn't see anything, right? He's just, he's just like moving around. I was like, what is wrong with you, dude? They're right there. He's like, where are they, Dad? He's like, you see that tree? Yeah, right underneath it. Okay. I'm like, what is wrong with you, dude? Like, what's going on? He's moving all around. And I was like, dude, oh, my God. I said, use my, use my binoculars. He's like, oh, these are great. He's like, I don't get back, right? So I give, I give him his binoculars back. And as he puts them up, he says, Dad, I see them now. I said, absolutely, son. You had to zoom out to see what was before you. Like I said, we take a biopsy of our life sometimes. And we say, my life sucks. My life is bad. My life is terrible. My relationship with my friends is bad. The relationship with my parents is bad. The relationship with my siblings is bad. The relationships at work is bad. My, my car is broken. All of these different things, we can look at it, and in the moment, it is bad. But as we broaden our view, as you begin to see, Lord, that car that I say is terrible and bad was the exact car I prayed for seven years ago. You are the one that prayed for Mercedes-Benz. Now you got to pay $150 for an old change. It's your fault, you know what I'm saying? It's like, that's okay. It's like, what kind of oil you been putting in it? Uh, just regular. No wonder why it's broken. Well, Lord Jesus, I pray for that Mercedes, but I, I, I didn't pray that I would have enough money to put premium. You put in that regular and let it. That thing's making noise. It's like, that's why. You broke it, you know what I'm saying? It's like, what? But we'll get in this. And we say, Lord, where are you at? Have you forgotten me? Do you know who I am? Well, I'm just down here suffering for you. Where are you? And we'll get in this moment where you're saying, son, daughter, how about you broaden your view a little bit? How about, how about you take a little bit of a, a zoomed out view of where we're at? And I love coming back to Scripture to come back and reinforce what the Lord's doing in us. This is what it says right here in Psalms chapter 145, verse 5 through 7. It says, I will meditate on your glorious splendor of your majesty and your wondrous works. And I'll think about those things. I'll meditate on those things. Men shall speak of the might of your awesome acts, and I will declare your greatness. They shall utter the memory of your great goodness and shall sing your righteousness. Not of what you're doing now, but of what you've done. Sometimes we get into the Lord, what are you doing now? And we forget what he's done. This is what it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. It says, and now we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We know these things that, Lord, if it's bad right now, then guess what? It's going to work out. That, Lord Jesus, I have faith that it's going to work out. I broaden my view a little bit and say, all right, look, I look at the other moments where I thought it was the end and it's worked out. So, Lord Jesus, surely you're faithful enough then than it is now. So, Lord, let's keep going. We're going to work this thing out. This is what it says in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1. It says, but now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name, and you are mine. When you pass, pass through waters, I will be with you. When you pass through the, the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. We have to come back and remind ourselves sometimes of Lord Jesus, of what you've already done, and what you've promised me that you will do. 
And as we get in the midst of where we're at and we take a broad look at our situation and our life, we say, Lord, you've been faithful, then surely you'll be faithful now. And the third thing is this right here that we see, is you have to express it. You have to express your gratitude. You have to begin to let that leave your lips. And not only leave your lips, but I think it's modeled out in action also. I believe it's modeled out in action. That it, it, It's only good sometimes to say, but it's better sometimes to do. That, Lord Jesus, I'm going to show you that I'm thankful of my life and what you've done for me. I'm going to be a steward of the gifting and the calling that you've put in me. Lord, I'm going to show you that your sacrifice on the cross that you made for me was all for naught. That, Lord Jesus, that I will live my life as a living sacrifice to serve you the best that I can. I'm going to get plugged in right here at Hill City. I'm going to join a surf team. Man, I'm going to do my best to work to be in a small group leader. Lord, I'm going to sign up for whatever it means that I'm going to show you that in my life I mean it. And when people look at me and they see me, that they will see my life is an expression of gratitude for my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That what I do, that what bubbles up out of me is a life of gratitude to a Savior who saved a wretch like me. And that's what I want it to be. That as I begin to express it, not only in what I say, in what I do, but in how I live, in my actions. I have a 2010 Ford F-150 that I love so much. Right? Do I want a new one? Yes. Would I like Bluetooth in my truck? Absolutely. Would I like heated seats? Yeah, right? Do I want a heated steering wheel too? <laughs> yes, yeah. If you ever had a, a heated steering wheel, it's a game changer, right? It's awesome. These hands, ooh, toasty, right? It's fantastic. I want that, man. This morning I got up and I was like, ah, oh, there was ice all over my windshield, like frost. I'm like, man, I look at my wife's car in the garage. My truck's in outside. Look at the I'm like, man, look at me. So I'm there scraping it off. You know, my hands are all cold. My fingertips are falling off. And I was like, Lord, look, I'm thankful for this truck. It's going to turn on. And not only that, my wife's like, why do you take care of it so much? She's like, because I'm thankful for it. I, I, I'm showing gratitude for it. I, I'll give you a secret. I get my, my truck cleaned twice a month, right? One time with a more expensive, second time, $5, Right? And she looks at me, she's like, how many times you go to the car wash this month? It's like, don't worry about it. It's cheaper than a car payment, right? You know what I'm saying? It's like, I'm going to drive that thing. It's going to look nice. The inside's going to be good, right? But why, why do I do that? I get it. She's like, man, it looks really good, right? And I was like, it does look really good. Why? Because I don't want a new car payment, right? I don't want to get into a brand new one. I don't want to be tied to it for 72 months. I'm like, ah, I look forward. I love you, but not that much, right? I love my truck, and I express it by taking care of it. I do my best to make sure it looks. Now, you're going to come outside and you look at my truck right now and be like, it's dirty, Pastor John. It's deer season. For the next two months, it's going to be dirty, right? It's, that's the way it's supposed to be. But we see this thing happen where we sometimes don't express it. Well, I love you, but you don't express it. I, I, I'm thankful for you, but you sure don't express it, right? Well, we have to come back here. And not only do we do it out of our mouths, but we do it in action. And we see that the cry of what these guys needed, they cried out in a louder voice for what they needed than what they were thankful for. And we see that when, when you and I live a life of gratitude, that thankfulness is something that we feel, but gratitude compels action. Gratitude compels action. When, we, when, we are, when we're showing our gratitude, it compels us to do something. I thank the servers all the time for doing a job that they are paid to do. I even tip them to do it. But I wouldn't say that I show gratitude to them. I show thankfulness in the moment. 
but gratitude compels action. If you would stand across the sanctuary with us this morning, I'm going to pray over us. And, and then also, maybe if you haven't taken your turkey out of the freezer, you need to do that right now. Just like, that's a prophetic Lord for somebody. That's a prophetic word for somebody. I need to take that turkey out of the freezer. You're right, Pastor Jonathan. If you would just close your eyes and bow your heads with me this morning. I won't pray over us. That you and I would be men and women of gratitude. Man, that we'd be people that serve others. Man, we'd serve with a joyful heart, with a cheerful heart. Not begrudgingly, not because this is my religious duty, but because we love to do it. And we take a look at our lives. As we reflect back on this week that's dedicated to giving thanks. And we'd come back and we'd give gratitude to our Lord. As we take a look at our life in Jesus, I might not be exactly where I want to be. I might not have everything that I want. But Lord Jesus, I've got enough. I've got enough, Lord. And I'm expressing my gratitude to you for, for what you've brought me through and what you've brought me out of. Man, that you and I would be men and women that express our gratitude not only in what we say, but how we live. That we would live like peoples who have been saved by grace. But not something that was owed us, not something that we were due, but Lord, you took me as the wretch that I was. Lord, you put purpose inside of my heart. Lord Jesus, you, you made me yours, Father. You made me a co-heir with you that my life would live in such a way. Just right where you're at this morning, I just want you to take 60 seconds. I want you just to begin at the forefront of your mind what you're thankful for. Some gratitude to Jesus this morning. Some gratitude to what he's done for you and what he's brought you out of. 60 seconds, you say, Lord, I'm thankful for this. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful, Jesus. Father, we love you so much, Jesus. I thank you for each and every one of my friends in here this morning. Father, I thank you right now, Lord Jesus. That, Father, on the drive home today, Lord, tears begin to well up in their eyes. Lord Jesus, as they begin to think about all the moments you've been faithful to them, all the places, Lord Jesus, that you've gotten them out of, Father, as they begin to reflect back on the thankfulness they have in their hearts for you, Father, the gratitude that they have for you, Father. I thank you right now, Lord Jesus, that you're cultivating gratitude in each and every one of us. Father, we love you so much, Jesus. If you would, I've got a second question for you. Maybe in here this morning, and you're struggling to even connect with the concept of being, of being being thankful to a God, of showing gratitude to a God that you've never been in relationship with. You've heard this story about how Jesus say he healed ten lepers that he didn't know was in a relationship with, that they did nothing for him. And you say, man, I need that same grace. Man, I need that same miracle. I need that same mercy from a loving God. Well, I'll tell you this, he desires that much and more from you. He loves you so much. If you're here this morning, you'd be honest with yourself, you'd be honest with me, and you'd be honest with God. Say, that's me, Pastor Jonathan. I need prayer. I need to join in a right relationship with Jesus this morning that I want to pray with you. I don't want to make you do anything strange or weird. I just want to know who I'm praying with in here this morning. If you'd be honest with yourself, you'd be honest with me, and you'd be honest with God. He said, that's me, Pastor Jonathan. Please pray for me. I'm going to give you five seconds to slip your hand up for me really quick. I'll give you five seconds. Five, four, three. Two, one. You can put your hands down with me this morning. 
Man, I don't want to make you do anything strange or weird, but I want to lead you in a simple prayer. There's nothing you know, special about the prayer. There's, there's nothing special about how you formulate it. All that matters is if you meet it in your heart. And I'm going to lead you in this prayer so you don't feel alone or by yourself. I'm going to have everybody in the congregation. We'll say it out loud together. Let's say it like this. Say, Jesus. Oh, you can do better than that. Say, Jesus, this morning I give you my heart. All my successes, all my failures, I give it to you. I pray right now that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I promise to do my best to live for you. Write my name in your book of life. In Jesus' name. Keep your head back for just a second. Jesus, we love you, Lord, and I thank you for each and every person, Father, who prayed that prayer either for the first time or yet again, Lord Jesus. May they feel your love, your grace, your mercy washing over them, Lord Jesus, replacing guilt and shame, Father. Lord, we love you, Jesus. We bless your people, Father God. May they be safe travels. Lord, as they're traveling over Thanksgiving break, Father God, Lord, may they get the cheapest gas on their way, Father. Lord, give them great parking spots, Lord Jesus, and make them have a good time, Father. We love you, Jesus. We bless your people. We pray all these things in your holy, in your precious name. Amen. And amen. Come on, you blessed this morning, Hill City. Love you guys. For joining us online here at Hill City. We're so honored that you would take the time to join us remotely and to celebrate the goodness of Jesus. I hope that word spoke to you. I hope that you were blessed today and I hope that you are encouraged to go forth in the confidence of Jesus this week, wherever you are. If you made a decision today uh, to serve Jesus for the first time, we wanna celebrate with you. Would you text DECIDED to 469-606-2684? And uh, we wanna respond and again, just connect with you and celebrate the beginning of an amazing discipleship journey with Jesus. Don't forget, next week we are here again, same place, same time, 9 o'clock and 11. And until then, we hope you have an amazing week.